0: Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, our extended reading of the 6th chapter of John's Gospel comes to a climax today with verses 51 through 58. And just again I'd urge everyone listening to me is take out your Bible and read through the sixth chapter of John, which is a masterpiece within the masterpiece. And I'll come back to these pivotal verses in the course of the homily, but I want to begin with a glance at the magnificent first reading for today, taken from the book of Proverbs. The author of Proverbs imagines the wisdom of God as a woman preparing a banquet. She lays out the finest food and drink. And then I love this, lavishly invites everyone. Listen, she has sent out her maidens. She calls from the heights out over the city. Let whoever is simple turn in here. That's wonderful. It's the graciousness of the divine invitation. Notice how, how typically biblical this theme is. In so many other religions and spiritualities, the stress is placed on our quest for God. For God is imagined as a difficult figure, essentially out of reach, unwilling to share his life. Thomas Merton, by the way, called this the Promethean problem in religion. You know, the myth of Prometheus stealing fire from the gods, and then the gods are so enraged that they punish him for all eternity. That's the divine that's, that's in rivalry with us. It doesn't want us to have its life. See, but the biblical religion is the exact opposite. There's none of the Promethean problem in the Bible. Rather, God is pictured there as incomparably generous, eager to offer what he has to the world. The spiritual life, accordingly, is not begging a reluctant pasha. I think a lot of us fall into that trap. God's this kind of difficult, distant Pasha, and we've got to go beg him for whatever we want. But rather, the spiritual life is a willingness to come to the feast. That's what it's about. Not so much begging for the food, but a willingness to come. Tout des grâce, right? Everything is grace, said Georges Bernanos. Something similar here. God is just lavishly offering. His life now to be sure you have to turn away from other sources of food if you want to enjoy the heavenly banquet so we hear in proverbs forsake foolishness that you may live you know what that means here in this context stop feeding on things that will never satisfy you Eat the banquet that God has prepared and lavishly laid out for you. There, in a nutshell, I think, is all of biblical religion. We spend our whole lives going after troughs of food that will never fill up our hunger. Wealth, honor, pleasure, power. Just eat from those troughs and you'll be satisfied, the world tells us. False. Turn away from this junk food for the soul and eat from this banquet which has been lavishly laid out for us. Now, listen to how Paul expresses the same idea in our second reading. It's from his magnificent letter to the Ephesians. Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. It would be matter for another entire sermon, but notice how Paul implies that much of our quest for happiness in the goods of the world is a disguised quest for God. It's a very important truth, by the way, for anyone involved in pastoral ministry to grasp. We drink wine, we're going after all sorts of things, ultimately questing for God. Don't get drunk on wine, on wealth, pleasure, power, honor, but rather be filled with the Spirit. Notice the language there, too. Not like, I've got to go find it, but the Spirit's offered freely. Just let yourself be filled by it. Now, all this, I would say, everybody, is preparation for what the Gospel tells us. Jesus is described in the prologue to John's Gospel. As the Word made flesh, which is simply another way of saying the divine wisdom become incarnate. The Word or Torah or wisdom of the Creator God has pitched His tent among us, becoming one of us. So notice now in chapter 6 that he endeavors to feed us precisely with his own self, his own flesh and blood. Now, now, the deepest meaning of the passage in Proverbs is made clear. The wines and fine food being laid out by the wisdom of God is finally nothing other than his own flesh. Wisdom, Wants us to feed on His very self. Does that make sense? I mean, what a, what extraordinary claim being made? But it stands right at the heart of our Catholic Christian faith. Wisdom, the wisdom of God by which He made the world, wisdom wants us to feed on Himself. So listen now, as this wisdom incarnate speaks. I am the living bread, come down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The Fathers of the Church loved to elaborate on this theme. If you want eternal life, they said, you have to become eternalized. The Eucharist is the food that fits us, that equips us. For life in the heavenly realm. It's a bit like a like a scuba diving suit. You have to put that on so you can breathe underwater. It's like a like a spacesuit you have to wear if you want to walk in space. Well, if we want to live in this eternal realm, we have to become eternalized. We do that by internalizing God's wisdom made flesh. Now, when the crowd hears this language, they are, to put it mildly, confused. Listen, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? This reflects, first, the Jewish prohibition against eating an animal's flesh with blood. Go to a number of places in the um, Old Testament, you'll find this prohibition. So it was not only disgusting for an ancient Jew, it was, it was against their law. A fortiori, this would be forbidden in regard to human flesh. If, if animal flesh with blood is forbidden, I mean, how much more human flesh? Yet that's what he says. Therefore, Jesus now is given every opportunity to render his words more palatable by making them metaphorical or symbolic. Think of his conversation with Nicodemus about being born again, and Nicodemus takes his words very literally, and Jesus, of course, well, that's not what I'm talking about, going back literally into your mother's womb. So here, he's given the opportunity to render his speech more metaphorical, more symbolic, so that this this angry crowd, this confused crowd might come around, but here's what's really intriguing He doesn't accept the invitation to render his words symbolic. Instead, we find this. Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. The verb in the Greek, of course, is very telling. Trogain rather than phagain. Phagain is the usual verb for to eat, the way human beings eat trogain is the way animals eat it's more like gnawing so in other words given the chance to render his language metaphorical he he ups the ante he makes it he makes it more vividly realistic just to rub it in he adds for my flesh is real food and my blood real drink We get to the heart of this Eucharistic realism with the following line, listen, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. We just couldn't imagine the Buddha speaking this way, or Moses, or Mohammed, or any other religious founder. Christianity is not primarily a system of ideas or moral recommendations, and Jesus is not one teacher or guru among many. Rather, Christianity is a relationship to Jesus. It's an organic friendship with him, remaining in him, He remaining in us. What's the means by which it happens? The eating and drinking of his flesh and blood. That lovely word, menane, to remain, runs right through John's Gospel. Jesus says, I remain in the Father, now you remain in me. How's it happen? Through the Eucharist, through the Eucharist. That's the lavish meal laid out. That's the means by which we find union with God. See friends, this is why the Orthodox faith, up and down the centuries, has always resisted attempts to soften these words, to turn them into merely symbolic speech. The Church has always recognized a connection between the dense realism of the Eucharistic presence and the divinity of Jesus. Precisely because he is who he is, this change can be affected at the deepest level. See, think for a second. Any one of us can affect a symbolic change. I could stand up at a a meeting of the Abraham Lincoln Society, and I could hold up a, a stovepipe hat and say, this hat is a symbol of Lincoln. I could read one of Lincoln's speeches and do it in a provocative way and say, this speech speaks of the spirit of Lincoln. Fine. I can do that. You can do it. We can affect symbolic changes. But God, by his speech, affects being at its deepest level because God's speech is the means by which the world comes into existence. Jesus is not just one human being among many. He's the Word made flesh. And therefore what he says is there is Eucharistic realism. There is the means by which we become united to Christ and therefore to the Father. There's, if you want, the whole of biblical religion. Come and eat of the banquet God has laid out. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.